Hello and welcome to the Getting Messy podcast, episode two. I'm Blake Fellows, um, sports journalist, podcaster, basically anything that stops me doing a proper job. I'm joined as ever by my uh, my good mate, Jake Dodds. Jake Dodds is a non-league footballer. Oh, he does he? I'm all good, mate. Yeah, I thought about the introduction of a non-league footballer. And it, it's kind of like polishing a turd. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I thought I, like, I, I listened to the podcast like, back last week and I thought, People don't think I'm right. trying to make out something. I'm not. You know, that man set up like professional football or non-league football or semi-pro in their bio on Twitter. A few sprang to mind then. <laughs> like, like them lads who played for Burton Albion Development under-18s and put Burton Albion footballer in the bio. That's, that's it, mate. Yeah. There's a young lad. There's a young lad in our, in our Bump United team at the minute. He had a um, pro footballer or footballer in his Instagram bio. I let him off. He's only about 17, to be fair, but... Yeah, just say it's um, football um, football fan Jake Dodds, I reckon. Yeah, so not take something away from it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. You, you do play for Belper mm. United. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, second team in Belper. Uh, nah, nah. Yeah, I suppose you can keep it. Yeah, yeah. It's a selling point. Yeah. So I came to watch you recently. Yeah, um, was a bit disappointed. That you weren't starting, but did all right when you come on, didn't you? Yeah, so caused a bit of havoc on that left wing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I'm not known for my aerial prowess, but I did win the flick on from goal. I, I, you know, I don't know, I'm sure if you can remember that bit, but yeah, a bit of a cameo, mate. I've given away a penalty the, the game before, so um, yeah, found myself on the bench. But did you did you enjoy the game? Yeah, yeah I thought it was a very good game. I think it sparked into life in the second half. First half, it was a bit quiet. Yeah. But second half, it, it had everything. And management, the, the, the assistant manager, is it um, getting sent off? Yeah, yeah, Kellogg's shock. Yeah, um, I think that sparked it into life, really. Yeah, no, it did, mate. I mean, and to be fair, like, for that level of football, there was, there was actually quite a few people there, weren't there? I mean, about over 100 for step six is, is quite good, really. Um, you could definitely hear the atmosphere in that. Uh, but no, yeah, good result, mate. So we find ourselves second in the league at the moment, which is good. Yeah, so for people that aren't listening before we move on, it's Bulk United and Eastwood. Is it Eastwood Community Football Club now? Yeah, mate, yeah. Um, I won't lie, they have got, uh, I mean, Eastwood chucked some money at it, to be fair. So it, it makes a victory even more sweet. Lovely. Um, <laughs> another thing I wanted to mention, <laughs> and if you go onto our Instagram and, and Twitter and whatnot, you'll, we'll put a picture up of these, are Dodge's new boots. Now, Dodge is trying to play down his role has not been a footballer, but he has recently acquired some, what are they, vapors? I don't know what they're called nowadays. Mercurial. Uh, Mercurials, I think. Yeah. Um, what are they, white gold with dodgy and massive letters along the side? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's nice of you not to give a background on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, obviously, you know, uh, Ben Osborne being the, being the lad that was on a previous previous show, call it a show, Um he, yeah, he, he obviously sought me out some boots and, and kindly put Dodsey on the side of them. I made them white as well. Um, so, yeah, obviously I now look like a 10-year-old child if I was to wear them in a, in a game. But, you know, I'm very appreciative of, of the gesture. Will you, will you get a bit at that level for having white and gold boots you name on? <laughs> yeah, mate, I've let a few of the lads know already. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to get hammered either way, so fuck it. It's a laugh, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so our guest today, who have we, who have we got lined up? Today's episode. Luke Steele, goalkeeper. 
really interested to hear uh, to hear his about his career. To be fair, he's, he's definitely had an interesting one, uh, but also to hear from a from a goalkeeper as well. Obviously, in the GK Union with yourself, mate. I was going to say you could have could have just asked me. Uh, <laughs> I've had a few clubs myself, but um, yeah, it's, he has had a, a really interesting career. I'm sure we'll touch on it. Now it's Man United, Panathinaikos, up and down the leagues. Um, he could have some stories for us, isn't he? I think definitely, mate. And I think obviously being a being a keeper. Um, you find yourself, like many keepers do, obviously jumping around clubs or maybe finding yourself on bench for long periods of time. So it'd be interesting to get get his insight on that and how he copes with it, really. Yeah, I'm a goalkeeper. I've been to a few clubs. <laughs> Blue note. <laughs> 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 right, on that note, on that note, let's introduce today's guest, goalkeeper Luke Steele. Yeah, Sam, mate, are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Just let off about 500 fireworks and I think next door's <laughs> trees burning down. So <laughs> pretty normal, pretty standard night for me, yeah. Decent, mate, decent. So you, um, you've been up to much over the last couple of weeks or you've been, uh, been chilling out? What are you saying? The last couple of weeks I have, because I'm, I'm out of contract at the moment, so I've joined a Sunday league team, which I've now played six games for, and I've scored nine goals. So to be oh, locked down yeah. for another, to, to have that news that last week was the worst news ever for me, because I was enjoying it as much as I've ever enjoyed, hand on heart, ever enjoyed any football in my life. Really? Well, because the yeah. part <laughs> Mate. It was because, obviously, I'm playing up front. I'm not really a striker, more of a midfielder if I had to play outfield, but he keeps playing me up front and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, obviously, I'm getting, getting a chance to score the goals, but, yeah, just keeping my fitness up and, I don't know, just I'm addicted, fully on, fully addicted at 36. What's the, what's the standard been like? Is it, obviously, I mean, Sunday league, poor or what are you saying? Well, my, my my I had some electricians who I kind of know, not really friends, but like they are they are like good lads. They said to me one day, says, Oh, you're still not signed anywhere, fancy playing for Sunday League side. So I was like, Yeah, go on then. If somebody catches me on a good day, a bit like when you asked me to do the podcast or when Ben asked me, if somebody catches me on a good day, I'll agree to anything. So obviously once I agree to something, then that's me fully involved, right? So the first game, I didn't realise that I was actually signing for a pretty shit Sunday League side. Yeah. They're not all good. They can't all win. So then since the first two games, both of my mates, my electricians, have got serious injuries out for probably one of them's retired and <laughs> done his knee. And the other one's, um, he's out for about four or five months. And so now playing with random guys on Sunday, leading from the front. Um <laughs> But we've won four out of four in the league. We've, we're out of both cups. We've won four out of four in the league. But I'm fully addicted, and I'm you know I want to win the league. Fair play, mate. Fair fucking play. <laughs> it cost me five pounds to play, which is uh, something new. But yeah, 
Are you in the are you in the lookout for a, a professional club still, or is it the, you live in the striker's dream now? Yeah, to be fair, I've had. Um, I'll tell you how it's gone so far. I've, I've had probably I think three or four offers, but they've all been three hours plus. And I've said to the family, "Look, I don't care who it is. Well, within reason, but I'm not signing for. Um, I'm not going to do the big commute, and I'm not going to move you guys away." So, to be honest, I've said no to all four. But apart from that, I've not had as much interest as um, I would have liked. Obviously, it's a bit of a peculiar situation with the um, pandemic, but also the wage bill. I don't know if you're aware of the new wage budget in League One and Two. Oh, no. So, yeah, it's a two and a half million wage bill. So, like, you've got to keep the salary cap, sorry. So, you've got to keep it below that. And because I'm, you know, probably going to look to drop below the championship it's it's not really working out for me but it's, it's it is what it is lads it's um I, hopefully i'll get something still maybe maybe not um i'm open to go abroad then i will move the family away but to be honest i think fleetwood oldham salford and peterborough have kind of offered me a deal but they couldn't f- fit me in to be honest which would have been ideal because i'm obviously living here Where, whereabouts are you living sorry peterborough are oh, you living in peterborough yeah Oh, sad. Yeah. Where, where are you guys? Derby. <clears throat> right, okay. Are you Derby fans then? I am. I'm a big Derby fan, um, which was obviously a bit awkward with Ben playing for Forest for all them years, but I'm a, I'm a massive Derby fan. You've not really got a club, have you? I was a Derby fan growing up, and then when Ben was at Forest, I'd, I was living with Ben, so any time um, he had a game, I'd go and watch Forest for like three, four years. So I stopped yeah. following Derby. So I started supporting Forrest. But now that he's left there, I'm not too bothered about Forrest. So I'd probably say I was a Derby fan, but I'm nowhere near a die hard, you know what I mean? So sorry, are you the one who um has had a bit of a career? Like you're still playing or um no, I mean I play in I play in non-league. So like what what, what league is that? Tell me the league, because I'm starting to learn the you know, my, my arrogance obviously all this year, all these years being so lucky to have played champion above but like you you're actually quite oblivious to the leagues below and which order they come in but i'm learning them now because i'm obviously a sunday league player <laughs> so it's um so imagine so conference is step one in non-league yeah. it's step six i played a little bit of step five as well so it i mean it i mean ben describes it and i probably agree with him it, it's the the level of football that people still sort of take seriously do you know what i mean so yeah. like but at the same time a lot of it is for the social, so like getting on the beers after and that. But I mean, you're playing grounds, people pay to come and watch, um, and all that sort of stuff. So it, it ain't bad. And like, like we we're in like the FA Cup pre- preliminary rounds and the FA Vars, so we still got the chance to play at Wembley um, if we was to get all the way. But obviously, it's it's tough. But nah, it's, I love it, mate. It's class to be fair. So how did you get on in the FA Cup this year? Because that's what like I always ask my mates every year. You know, they're trying to make the first round of the FA Cup. That's kind of the holy grail, isn't it? But um, yeah. how did, have you been knocked out? So this year, to be fair, the team that I've just gone to, they weren't in it. But last year, we didn't have a bad... Was it, was it South Normanton last year? Right. And they, that, one, that one a bad run. I think we like, won like three, three on the bounce and then got to the last 32 of the Vars. Um, but then we got to like the, the regional cup final. And then... Um, we, we got so we beat Matlock Town. That's quite a good. I think they play at step three. We beat them, um, but then it got cut. The, the final got called off because of COVID. So it was a nightmare. We would have played at Pride Park and everything. 
Devo. Yeah, proper, proper. But yeah, no, not even decent. So, are you, uh, Dodsy, are you part of that crew with Ben who goes to the ice hockey team in Scotland? I wasn't, no, no, but I did. I, now, I think I was away at the time. I was away um, in Australia at the time, but um, I seen that. Yeah, it's like a random Dundee. I think they ended up supporting. Dundee Stars, wasn't it? Dundee Stars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's 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 the moment that I thought this lad's going to be my mate. When, ben, <laughs> when I heard Ben, because I was like the new lad, and he was talking to somebody, and I was like, "Tell me that story again." And so basically, and I looked at it and I thought, "You're going to be my mate," because that's the most random shit I've ever heard. <laughs> that's mental. I don't know if um, I don't know how much Ben explained to you, but what we're going to do with the podcast, basically, it's a bit of a brainchild between the three of us. We want to get Lionel Messi on this podcast. Yeah, um, we had the name before we had the idea, to be honest. But um, right. we're going to ask footballers and people involved in the game the same thing questions every week. See what like, see how they compare, and and there's, there's some good ones in there. Ben Ben was good, wasn't he? Answering them, and yeah, yeah, there's some there's some real uh, gets it's different. To the, it's trying to be a little bit different to the normal mundane footballer interview that you've probably done hundreds of over the years and have majorly bored of. Yeah. I'm, 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 I did listen to Ben's. That's the one bit of research I did do. And that's when I agreed to it. But I did listen to every bit of Ben's. It was good. Um, I think, uh, I think the realism of getting messy on, I mean, I'm a, I'm a dreamer. I'm trying, <laughs> to, I'm trying, I'm trying, cause I was trying to think how, what connections we've got. But anyone at Barcelona, I used to play PK, so I'm trying to think. I'm got the one connection. If I was really going to help you guys out, to try and get PK, who I don't, really, I don't speak to him now. I don't even speak to him on social media. I don't even follow him actually. But he lived in the digs near me in Manchester, so I've played with him. I've, in fact, you're in the memorabilia room. It's not, it's not actually sorted at all. I'm, I've been given it. We've just moved house, so the only picture I've got up is a signed picture of Kurt Cobain. But there is pictures of me and PK. But I'm trying to think if I could get hold of PK. Mm. And somehow get hold of obviously Messi, and then you know that's the that's the only thing I've got to help you lads. But getting old, hold of that's, that's the only thing you've got. It's a big, <laughs> it's a big leap from Ben <laughs> if you can get hold yeah, of Yeah, no, I know, I know, and I'm a, I'm a dreamer. Even if you got him on for two seconds, but I'm trying to think, get him in a good mood, feed his ego, big up Shakira, <laughs> and then I'm trying to think, yeah, what was he into? He liked women. Um, we can't help him there then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but things like that can happen. But I think, you, I think to be honest, the, when it gets huge, you've got to make the trip over to Spain, haven't you, really? Yeah. That's, that, that's what we're talking about. You've got to get over to the training ground, get him to the camp, at least get him on the picture with you in the, in the, obviously him in the background or whatever. You've got to get to Spain, lads. Let's be honest. Yeah, definitely. And also, just maybe just test the water with PK. We don't want to get him on too early. That's the podcast to be over into it. Yeah, yeah. Let's put it out for a few weeks first. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to peak too soon because it could be like, you know, Faulty Towers, one series and gone. That's it. Mate, yeah. I, I do find it slightly worrying that you've put more into, thought into our podcast than we have so far. <laughs> but thank you very much. We appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, finding like Lionel Messi, Messi could, be, um, could be on the cards. I could join you there if I enjoy this. Should we, should we kick off with question one then? Yeah, let's do it. Who did you, um, who did you support growing up and, uh, and what are your first your first memories of the game? Well, my dad's from Manchester, so he was a big Man U fan, which made me and my brothers become Man U fans. So even though I'm from Peterborough, I was a Man U fan. I mean, I was a posh fan, um, went to all their games and 
all the rest of it once I joined the academy, but it was always Manu. Um, and the first game, I think I was about seven or eight. I was trying to think about this. Um, my dad came home one day and said, look, I've got two tickets to Old Trafford versus Ipswich in a league game. Me and my brother, my eldest brother, who was more of a football family than the middle one, we tossed a coin. I lost. And so then it was decided that Nathan and my dad would go to the game. I kicked off, I'm not lying, more than I've ever done in my whole entire life to the point where it was cruelty, cruelty on my parents. And, you know, I went in my bedroom, screamed and everything. And the next day I went to school and in the last lesson, I looked up towards the window where the door was and my dad was stood there and he came in, spoke to the teacher and literally I was out there within 20 seconds in the car. He got a full man new kit for me and I was on the way to Manchester and he'd somehow got um, another ticket. That was, you know, one of the best days ever. Went to Man U, freezing cold. It was the 94 season, 93, 94 season. I think it was in Old Trafford. And it was probably the only nil-nil draw <laughs> of the season because um, obviously they were on fire those years. But yeah, we drew nil-nil. And it was class. It was the best day ever. Honestly, Old Trafford's the most wonderful stadium I've ever, ever been to. Um, even now, I think it's um, you know the greatest place. And I think I'd say that even if I wasn't wasn't a Man U fan, that's how special it is. And I think if you do like football and you are listening to this, you've got to somehow you've got to get to Wembley and you've got to get to Old Trafford to experience it. Yeah, so it, uh, massive massive atmosphere. I mean, to be fair, like the the Man U away fans, they're probably some of the best away fans in the country. And I suppose if you've got them in your home stand as well, like they're, they're crazy, aren't they? Yeah, and as I got older and, you know, went to United, I went to a lot of away games and actually went in the away stands, you know, it was easiest for me to get tickets then. And then I realised the following that they had and, you know, the so-called proper fans. But still at Old, at Old Trafford, especially the big European nights, um, the places jumping, Rangers game, AC Milan, Real Madrid games, you know, they're, they're just electric. Old Trafford is just, is so... Um, I don't know. It's just pristine. It's 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 uh, it's like a different football ground to any other in in England, and you know I'd recommend everybody go there. But yeah, I fell in love with Manu straight away, and that was it. Had every kit till I was about thirteen, fourteen. Did that make uh, the the eventual move to go and play there that extra bit special then? Yeah, obviously it was a it was a weird time. I was seventeen, and you know there was different teams knocking on the door, but obviously. Um, between the three or four that came my way, it was always going to be Man U, even though there was to and fro and from this club to that club. But, you know, Peterborough were trying to sell me for the highest price, which is fair enough. And United offered that. And, you know, it was always going to be them if they if they wanted me. So, you know, it was a bit of a dream come true at that age. I suppose even, so you obviously go there and you're playing under Sir Alex Ferguson. Like, what what's he like as a character to play under or to be around? Well, for me, it was 2002. So if you think about it, he'd already been at the club over 10 years. He'd won everything. So when people talk about this hairdryer, this you know guy who demanded respect, he'd already got the respect. So every moment I was with him and in a change room, he never had to lose his head once, I don't think. Um, one time that sticks out in my mind is when we in the FA Youth Cup, I think it was the quarterfinal, and we just crawled through on penalties. We drew one all against Sheffield Wednesday and we, we got through on penalties and we were all cheering in the change room thinking, you know, brilliant. And he came in and 
he went berserk in the change room. Absolutely was berserk. A lad called Chris Eagles particularly, but you know, he said it weren't the man new way. It wasn't the way that, you know, we're taught to play. We're disgraced. We shouldn't be cheering, like get the F down from the benches because we're all like singing and dancing. And, you know, it was absolutely silence. Um, and that's when it really hit home that it wasn't just the result. It was, just, it was a United way that he demanded, but he'd already got all the respect um, from around the world at this point. So he didn't need to scream and shout, but that was the one time I was like, shit, this guy means, means business. And then, and then, obviously, in that in that changing room, you've got all like obviously the class night two and like you know skulls, gigs, Beckham. So have they got like a massive say in the in the dressing room? Like, were they like big characters? Were you a little bit like tentative around them and that, or were they quite approachable? Well, well, no. I mean, if if for your first question, were they all big characters? They weren't. I mean, I think of the likes of uh, skulls, very very quiet. Beckham quite quiet and um, wouldn't really get involved in the debates as such if there was one. Um, Phil and Gary Neville, Gary especially, well actually both of them were very vocal from the start. In every if, in any room they were in, they were the loudest people in the room, um, busy and you know always talking about football and how to improve and and then you know, obviously Roy Keane, someone like that who. Again, he'd already gained the respect of everybody. So if he spoke, then he'd probably be the, one of the only ones that could shut up um, the Neville brothers. But yeah. but but Giggsy, I mean, even to this day, like he just he just screamed class. He was my hero growing up over any goalkeeper. I always say my Giggsy was my hero, and he was unbelievable. And he he was quieter. But then again, when he spoke, people really did listen, and he was so witty and like knowledgeable about little little bits and bobs on and off the field, and you know he'd kind of like take the mick out of Gary and Phil and all the rest of it. But and, and Nicky Butt, Nicky Butt was more Jack the Lad kind of thing. But yes, they weren't all loud and you know vocal. But it was great for me because five years before, ten years leading up to that, really, um, they were just people I watched and idolised. I had books, pictures on the wall. Um, never thought that I'd be in the same dressing room as any of them. And there I was, you know, lining up against, uh, you know, playing with them in, in certain matches. So it was just a bit of a surreal moment. And I struggled with that, to be honest. Like first, I was there for four years and especially the first year or two, I couldn't switch from being a fan to just trying to like compete in tra training, if you, if you know what I mean. And I don't think I got the best out myself. It was only until I went on loan to Coventry and came back and realised that it's actually, you know, it's up for grabs. You know, I'm trying to compete and and all the rest of it. But it's it's very difficult as a kid, especially when a team like Man U at that point had done so, so well and won the Champions League and, and all the rest of it. So it was hard for a kid to, you know, switch. Or It was hard for me. I'm not saying for everybody. I'm sure there's lads who manage it better, but I found it hard to get into the rhythm of things. Yeah. I mean, I bet they were all, uh, some of the things you must have seen in training in terms of the quality, like we mentioned to Ben like, last week, like some of the things sometimes you might find that that, um, that players were, were better in training than they were on the football pitch. Did you find that people like Skulls and that were just unbelievable? Yeah, like, because I, I, everybody says Skulls was the best player, right? And I would agree with that. 
when I look back now and I think of all the games and how Scholes played, Scholes was a world world class player. They weren't all world class, but he was world class. But he obviously didn't have the fancy tricks, this and that. But if you look, if I think about it now, if you're on Scholes' team in the small sided games, you know, you're guaranteed to get assists, you're guaranteed him scoring, and he just didn't give the ball away. It yeah. was the simple things. The, if you if if you do the, the the best players do the simple things well. That was the best advice I was given as a kid. The best players do the simple things well, and he was a class act at that. Class act. He 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 never gave the ball away. He never had a bad touch. He could ping a ball, um, forty yards. You know, within within a square meter. And he, I remember when we we're doing shooting, and as a goalkeeper, you know, you get in the rhythm of knowing who what's coming. But when Skull shot. He hit the ball so sweet, so clean. Even if it was coming straight at me, sometimes it'd go in because it'd end up moving or it'd just clip my hands. And it, the power was phenomenal. Like you couldn't even, you can't really, um, I've never seen anybody hit a ball like him. Like I said, I'd, I'd think, how did that go in? It's gone through me. Surely there's not a hole in my stomach here. But, you know, that's world-class for you. World-class players do things, you know, consistently. And he, he was he was just a world-class player. There was loads of players with talent. Everybody had talent. He was there, even the young lads coming through. And like you said, lads in training, you couldn't do it in the games. It was the best young player ever played with to this day is a lad called Mads Tim. I don't know if you guys would know him. Most people do from playing um, all sorts of football games. I went into him, Pro Evo and FIFA and things like that. But he's a Danish lad called Mads Tim, born in 1984. And honestly, he was the best player I've ever seen. Kieran Richardson, was good he was my age as well but Mads Tim was a world beater and he struggled mentally he retired at the age of 25 due to stress but he never made a name for himself but when I went there he was on a different level and I thought me and my dad used to come home from youth team games and reserve games thinking Mads is going to be the next you know man new legend but he never made it because like you said he could do it in training he could do it in the resi game when he made the step up he just couldn't get there and it was a shame i always liked mads tim because he was a good lad but i think he had things going on in his head and he got paid too much too early and you know you guys never heard of him which is a shame because he had much more talent than me and much more talent than a lot of players who have, who have graced the premier league so <clears throat> he's not the first and won't be the last but yeah just on that, in terms of talking about world class, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo was at Man U at that point when he was there, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he signed about 12 months after me. So, like, could you tell that he was going to turn into the play that he did or what, what were your thoughts on him? Uh, my thoughts on him were... thought that he was this tr- tricky winger that obviously was a first-team player straight away. And I thought he was good, but I'd never, ever called what, what he actually came. I didn't know he had that. I don't think he had that then because, you know, the part of this game, like the way he heads the ball now, the way he takes free kicks, that was all self-taught. And that he didn't come to United with all that. You know, he got better and better. He was one of those. I remember him in the gym um, in his broken English. This is just a quick example off the top of my head. But um, he was saying he was speaking to Mike Clegg, the fitness instructor, and he was saying to him, oh, Mike, like, how do I get these um, lat- these muscles here? And he, he like pointed to his lats. Yeah. And so then Mike Clegg, this guy, I just happened to be in the room that day. And he was telling him, oh, you've got to do wide arm, wide arm chin-ups. Yeah. So Ronaldo pursued this now for the next four months. And he started off, he could do like two or three. And by the end of 
a few months, he was doing like sets of 15, 20. And he's got the, you know, now when you see the pictures of him and he's always, he's on his Instagram, he shows those lats. That's where it started from. Just asking <laughs> the guy in the gym, um, the fitness instructor, he told him. And then all the time he'd hold right at the end and do these wide arm chin. It was incredible. And I used to think, flipping it, like, you know, I'd do gym, but then he got obsessed with stuff. So he's got that obsessive attitude. Yeah. And he was just, a, you know, consistent trainer, someone who just got better and better. And he, luckily, he was always asking me to stay out for free kicks, um, to practice free kicks. And we used to, the, the, the training pitches at Carrington are right in front of the uh, car park. And we used to do free kicks and he used to hit the wobbler, you know, like the one you know, he hits it straight on. And Louis Saha actually taught him that. I believe he was the one who gave him the, because um, they, they used to always do him. And I used to be in goal. Honestly, he must have hit nine in a row over my head into the car park. There'd be car alarms going off, <laughs> like flipping dents in the windows and all sorts, because he'd be hitting it that wrong. And, um, and then all of a sudden he got he, he got it, but he weren't afraid of trying. He, he, even if you look back to the games at Old Trafford, he used to hit balls into the Stretford ends and the crowd would go, ah, oh, you know, but then all of a sudden he'd catch one, it'd go in and that was it. Practice, practice, practice. His 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 attitude to the game is was second to none, and that's why you can't, you know, you can't question his his, you know, his life now. And, and I think it's five times world best player because he worked at it, he worked at it, and became the greatest. And fair play to him, you know, fair play to him. Decent quality insight. All right, number two, um, the memories of your professional debut. My debut, 2002, the shirt's in this room somewhere, I think. Um, okay, I did read this question. <laughs> anyone listening, I was supposed to read all the questions coming my way, but I got to about number four. So then the first four answers are the ones that I thought about. Right, so la second from last game of season, I'm 17. Um, Barry Fry is trying to sell me to Man U, Tottenham, Arsenal. I've already been to Man U, Charlton, um, training with them for a month. Tottenham have now been thrown into the hat. Um, Arsenal, they've put on a game at um, Arsenal for me. Arsenal being thrown into the hat. So he's trying to sell me. So second from last game of the season. Um, I've not even been on the bench that year. There was rumours in the paper that I was going to play. And we were already safe from relegation. League One, I think it was. Um, and honest to God, I was in my digs, which is like the place where we live. 16 lads lived. And we had a youth team game on the Saturday. And the doorbell rang at half ten. One of my friends, Brad, um, answered it. We were all getting ready for our youth team game. And he shouted me to come to the door. And it was one of the first team players saying, Steely, with us. And the first team bus had pulled up outside my digs. Big, massive bus. And I was in a towel. And I was like, what are you on about? It's like, you're supposed to be at the ground. Like, I got red in a way. So, like, I was like, what? So I quickly got my tracksuit on, got my stuff, got onto the bus. And Barry, Barry Fry had basically said, but to this day, I don't know if this is planned or not. I don't know if this is a psychological piece of genius from him. But he said, oh, no, you, you're in the first team today. You're playing. Like, you surely knew this. And I was like, no one's told me. He's like, well, it's on the back pages of the paper yesterday. I said, yeah, but no one actually told me. So anyway, I get my stuff. I'm on the thingy. He says, I've already rang your mum, your dad, your granddad. They're on their way to the Medeski Stadium in Reading. <clears throat> so anyway, I start to shit myself and I'm talking I'm talking about nerves that I didn't even think existed um, I had a pre-match meal we're in them then we're 
Reading Stadium, which I didn't realise was huge. You know, it was Medeski. It was, uh, and they had to win to go up, by the way. So it's a party atmosphere, 22,000, I think. Um, <clears throat> I'm doing the warm-up, dropping everything. Um, <laughs> you know, never even put my shirt on before because I hadn't been included in the squad that, that year, that season. I was playing youth team in reserve football. So anyway, got the game. Uh, the music still haunts me in the, in the tunnel. It's always played at Reading. But um, yeah, got out there. The first pass back, I shanked and they nearly scored from it. And then somehow after that, long story short, I started to play, uh, catch crosses. I started to make saves and it was just a bit of a dream debut, really. I was, I think we went one nil down. No, we went one nil up, Leon, McKen- Leon McKenzie. And then um, we ended up drawing two all. And it was honestly the one of the best feelings ever. Barry came onto the pitch. He was hugging me saying, now, well, I've done. And, you know, it was just an absolutely magical moment. They obviously thought they'd win to, to get promotion. So it was a really good game. Um, we drew 2-2. And, yeah, it was just the start of, you know, my football career. I didn't know it was going to happen. And it was fantastic to, to, to be at a club for like seven, eight years all through the academy and then make a debut was a dream come true. So then I played that game. Um, I think and then I played the next game that was the last game of the season and then they sold me to United um, weeks after but but because of that game I think Barry was trying to take the money up you know get as much as he could because now I'm like somebody who's played in the first team I'm somebody who could handle first team football or so they thought and you know at 17 that's really young for a goalkeeper to, to be playing so you know it was, it was really was one of the best days of my life um, I can remember watching the documentary about Peterborough. I think it was about around that time, and Barry Fry seemed well character to say the least. And I can remember a similar story with was it Sean St Ledger, and they were going to put him at right back, and he ended up putting him because <coughs> I'm trying to sell him. Was he really as as eccentric and everything as he as he came across on the documentary? Yeah, he's brilliant, absolutely class. I mean, he gets a bit of stick in Peterborough. I'm not. I'm not saying that everybody loves him because I think they think he's more money orientated and, you know, he's trying to just make the most money, which I do think that he is doing that. But he was ahead of his time. Like there wasn't, um, there wasn't, uh, what do you call it? A football, it's not an agent. Um, some he, He's kind of takes care of the, of the sales and the buyers in football. So like, he's just so charismatic. He's, you know, been around the game so long he loves it he'd be at training with his top off smoking cigars um he'd do erratic things like that put players on I mean a quick story when I was 15 I was on boxing day I was called up um to be on the bench because two of the goalies have had got ill and the youth team goalie had gone home for Christmas so against Rotherham I was on the bench at the age of 15 and had I played I would have been I think still to this day the youngest player to ever have played definitely goalkeeper wise but I think at the time I would have been the youngest player ever but I think Barry wanted to put me on we were losing 5-0 with like not on 90 minutes and he wanted to put me on so I started warming up and in the end I didn't go on I think there was a big debate on the bench saying you know I wasn't ready but I was you know he he was that kind of guy who would have done that just to um, you know maybe get some interest and things like that but he's brilliant he's been great with me he took me up to Manchester when it was all going on and you know, he'd, he'd have no, he wouldn't care. He'd walk in the first team dressing room at United with a, a ball and get it signed. And there'd be no one else like that. I've n- never met anybody like him um, since. And he really is 
a credit to football. I've got nothing but good things to say about him. And, you know, he's still going at his age now. It's his class, but... Um, just quickly as well, can you remember the, uh, the lineup <clears throat> uh, from your Peter debut? The lineup? Yeah. Well, how many of them do you think you can name out of the 11 that started? Right. Well, I'll have a go. I don't have to get full names, do I? Because I'm terrible at that. Nah. Right, I'm, I'm going to say one straight away. Is it Kimball? Do you know the lineup? Yeah, I've got it up in front of me. Yeah, yeah, Kimball, Kimball right, uh, left back. I'm not sure if Barry played, but yeah, Andy, Andy Edwards. Um, he didn't play. No. Oh no, Marco. he did. He did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was captain. Um, Matthew Gill. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew Gill. Yeah, he played. Yeah. Helgi Danielson. Yeah, he did, yeah. Um, Jimmy Bullard. Yeah. Leon McKenzie. Yeah. Mark Joseph. Yeah. Oh, I'm flying. That was at eight. Yeah, I think you've only got a couple more. Eight, there. including me. Um, uh, is it One Fenn? More. Neil Fenn? Yeah. And then it's just one more defender. Oh. Uh, is it, it? Was Dennis Pierce playing? Yeah, that's him, yeah. It's so fucking <laughs> unbelievable. Mate, Benny last, last week said he got six and thought he did well, mate. You fucking put him to shame. Fair play. I swear to God, that's that I didn't cheat at all. I heard that question was coming, but I did not cheat one bit. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to say any more subs or anything like that. But, yeah, I'm proud of myself there. Yeah, decent. Right. Question number three. Uh, can you choose a favourite victory over your career? Favourite victory? Um, fifth round of the FA Cup. I've signed for Barnsley on the Wednesday with my first games against Liverpool Anfield and we won 2-1 in the last minute. Wow. I can remember that. Who was it? Is it Howard? Who scored the winner? From distance? Yeah. Brian Howard. Yeah, Brian, Brian Howard. Howard. Yeah. Yeah, we got battered on the day, to be fair, but Coit scored for them. And then um, Alec, uh, Stephen Foster scored header. And then we're thinking we're getting the replay. And then in the last minute, we should have had a penalty and Jeff Stelling goes mad. Um, and then all of a sudden breaks to Brian Howard, edge of the box and scores. And honestly, it was we were the bottomship. And I think they'd got to the final of the Champions League the year before. Well, the year after, I think they got to it. But, you know, they were top Liverpool side. And, yeah, it was the time where football weren't going great for me. I was at West Brom playing, didn't have a look in and, you know, was actually offered a pay-up a few weeks before that. And then Feb I said no, February came. And, uh, like I said, I had a phone call on the Wednesday, got asked to play for Barnsley for a month because they've, they've got one game. They said, and it's, they worded it like, yeah, we've got Liverpool away. Um, our keeper's cup-tied, who's on loan, Warner. If Luke does all right, obviously we'll keep him in the side for the three other games. So, um, you know, we we ended up beating Liverpool. I had so much to do, you know, like it was a busy game. Um, you know, one of those games where it was just, you know, everything's hit me or go the right way and somehow we won. It was absolute dream come true. Um, yeah, and I ended up staying seven years. So I signed a one-month deal and I, I stayed seven years. We beat Chelsea in the uh, quarterfinals after that. 
um, which was, you know, Terry and Balak and Anelka at our place. And lightning struck twice, lads. Honestly, everybody wrote us off for the quarterfinal. We beat Chelsea. And um, in the semi-final, we had we we had Cardiff at uh, Wembley, which we lost 1-0. But, you know. Unbelievable. Uh, that Liverpool game really was one of them where, you know, people say, oh, if you believe it, if you believe you can do it, you can beat anybody. And if you believe in yourself, that's bollocks. Because I went into the game thinking, if I can keep this below five, <laughs> you know, below four or five. And me and my friend, Stephen Foster, who's captain, he was thinking the same. Everybody thought the same. We didn't think we were going to win. We thought damage limitation. We thought, don't make dicks of yourselves. Hang in there. That's even at one nil. I mean, winning. And that's the same when we played Chelsea. We just thought, don't get dicks. We never believed we could win. But when you see all these people saying, oh, if you can believe it, if you can dream it, you can do it. No. <laughs> think as negative as possible. <laughs> hey, you've got to think negatively sometimes. And then, and then the, it takes the pressure off yourself. You're an underdog. And then you just, you know, you guide yourself into the game. And yeah, it's not a miracle that we won. It was a game of football, but, you know, the odds were against us and we hung in there and we won. Didn't believe we were going to win. Even at 2-1, I didn't think we were going to win. There was like 10 seconds left. All right, so the next question. So what mindset... So it's the biggest, biggest stinker you've ever had. Were you getting stuck <clears throat> in your mindset before that one? Or... Biggest stinker? Yeah. The biggest stinker or biggest mistake you've ever made? Um... I've had I've had a nightmare game. Like people say, when well, we lost six 0 and I didn't I didn't particularly play well. Um, but I think, <laughs> Jesus, I didn't read this question. But the first thing that sticks in my head, talking about Roy Keane again here, because I I used to be shit scared of him, still am. Even last year when he came to Forest, um, and I'm a grown man now. But he <laughs> he took over at Ipswich. Do you remember when he was Ipswich manager? And yeah. we were we were at Barnsley and we went to Ipswich away. And, you know, I think they were below us in the table. We were doing quite well. But obviously, Roy Keane was on the side. It brought back all these memories from when I was a kid, like you know, at United and he was dominating the dressing room, dominating the world of football. And um, I just had made this stupid mistake. A ball came over the top. It came out. It was right in front of the dugouts on the byline. So the ball was looking like it was going out for a throw-in. And I just kind of, like, got in front of it to shield it out. And for some reason, I just slipped or did something with my feet where I kind of, like slipped over right in front of the dugout. I'm sure Roy Keane blew me over with his eyes, but um, I was on the floor. They broke and scored and we lost 1-0. And that was the biggest stink ever because I don't think I had a save to make. And, you know, when you make a mistake as a goal, it usually ends up as a goal. But I think the added bit of Roy Keane being at the side was, um, was quite influential. But, yeah, I think it was a big mistake that got replayed on Sky Sports and all the rest of it that weekend. So... Yeah, I've made loads, to be honest. I've made loads. I've made quite a lot in Greece as well. Um, near the end, big games, big pressure games. One against um, Ajax, actually. I think a lad hit a free kick from, I swear to God, it must have been 45 yards. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even to this day, I watch it, I watch it back and I say, I'm sure it moved. But I look back and it, it didn't even move. I, I think he's still there at Ajax. can't remember his name. But yeah, pressure. Pressure it gets there sometimes. Yeah. Do you think it's the age-old question though? Do you think people are hard on goalkeepers? Because, like, say, if you make a mistake, chances are it's a goal. Whereas a centre midfielder gives the ball away five times, it's not quite there. Doesn't quite have the same effect. Yeah, obviously they are. But let's be honest, it, it makes good TV. They want to show. They want to show goals. They want to show mistakes. They want to dig people out. 
goalkeepers are an easy target. I don't think it's all um, deserved. I think, you know, a lot of people are on TV pundits now, even the best, the big ones are not good on goalkeepers because they've never experienced it. So some of the terminology and the words they use are totally wrong. Um, but, you know, that's TV for you. It's, people have to blame somebody, don't they? Especially with all the formats they've got now. I mean, I don't read Twitter or I don't read newspapers or anything. I haven't done for, I think, 10 years now. But, you know, you hear bits and bobs and I'm sure I've had my fair share of stick. Um, but, yeah, you've got to hammer a goalkeeper. Even now I'm playing Sunday League football sometimes. I sometimes shout things to the keeper and think, oh, no, don't start that because you've been, you've been <laughs> at work for 25 years. <laughs> so question number five uh, who's the best player you've ever played with in, in your personal opinion who's the, the best player best player I've ever played with um, well I think I'll try and give you two answers there. I think if you obviously the best players were at United I don't want to keep talking about them but and I didn't go on and play you know lots of games for them um, I was certainly involved a lot but for me, the best player I saw week in, week out and in training was Ruud van Nistelrooy at United. He was, he was phenomenal. And as a goal, goalkeeper, obviously, again, you know, I saw him day in, day out, the way he finished. And again, he was one of those, you could hit the ball straight at me and it'd go in. Um, he practised like a maniac, but he was class. I thought he was really good. I thought he was a world-class player and, you know, went and did it at Madrid as well. Um had everything and had such a nice way about him really really did I've always got on with the Dutch to be honest but he was one of my favourites and um, you know he'd, he'd work hard and he'd have advice for the younger players but he was a true winner as well you know if you're on his side as he, he knew that he'd give you a rollicking if you weren't doing your bit but he'd always turn up at Old Trafford his goal scoring was phenomenal um, yes yeah, so he's the fa my favourite player at United I think he was the best um, and, you know, as I got on, I was seven years at Barnsley. Um, one of the best players, uh, flipping egg, I'm trying to think, Barnsley. Jason Kumas, I'd say, one of the best players. Do you remember him at West Brom? Yeah. I remember him playing for West Brom against Derby in the playoff final and absolutely running the show. Yeah, he was incredible. Yeah, I think that was the best championship side I'd seen. We ended yeah. up winning the league, but that's the year I, I played a few games, but I actually went on loan that season and left to go to Barnsley. So I didn't finish off the season, but they rightly got promoted and, you know, it was a fantastic team. But Jason Kumas was a class player, had everything, sharp, crossed it, skillful, quick, really, really good player. Went and obviously then played in the Premier League, but um, yeah, really, really good player. There's lots of, lots of good players. It's hard to think quickly. Uh, like I said, didn't get that far down the list of questions, but um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've played. I've, I've played some really, really good players, all different types as well. Especially when I went abroad, um, Marcus Berg, who's still playing up front for Sweden now, he was just a goal machine. Um, him and he, he does, he's somebody who doesn't get uh, probably in the limelight, especially in the UK, because Zlatan's always been his strike partner. So when you get a big name, the quieter and assume players never get mentioned, but Marcus Berg, he's still playing now um, and gets in the Swedish side at the age, of, I think, 33, 34. So he was, he was a top player as well. All right, question number six. Uh, biggest training ground bust-up you've ever seen? Training ground bust-up. Oh, I've got a good one. I've got a good one. Should I tell it? 
I don't know if I'm allowed. Uh, for legal reasons, if you need to. <laughs> no, because I told you, if I'm coming on, I've got to give you everything. I've got to give you the full Monty here. Um, yeah. But, do you know what? They're both working as well. They're both in football. This is how mad it was. It was in 2005. So it must have been, it was the 2000, or oh, 2006 maybe, I don't know. And it was at Coventry. It was on loan at Coventry. Oh, this is a good one. Flipping out. <laughs> this is so good. I've not, I've really not told this to anyone, but if I'm doing podcast, I'm semi-retired. Oh, go on then. Um, so I'll tell you the name straight away. Robert Page, who's about to manage Wales. <laughs> and, uh, and and Michael Doyle, who, who plays for Notts County now. He's class, he's 40, I think he is now, but he's still playing centre midfield for Notts County. And uh, right, so so Michael Doyle, I set the scene, Michael Doyle is a nutter. Like he's class, like he's one of the hardest working players. He's a bit like Roy Keane. I don't think he's from Cork because he's best mates with Liam Miller, who sadly lost his life last year, um, a year before. I think he might be from Cork, but he's a nutter. Anyway, Michael Doyle is full on one of those football players who's horrible. People hate him. Even now people say, but they hate him because of the way he is at football, not off the pitch really. But I was good mates with him. I was about 22 and he was 24 or 21, 23, something like that. So he's that nasty guy kicking people onto people, onto his own teammates in training, all the rest of it. Pagey's obviously at the end of his career at the time, real good guy, solid guy. You, I didn't know too much about Pagey, but, you know, he looked like he could handle himself, but at the same time, an honest kind of pro. And um, Mickey Adams was manager. And we're outside training and it, Doily was obviously on to Pagey at the time and, you know, nagging it, like getting in his ear, something. I don't know what had upset Doily to be extra crazy, but it was kind of a meeting. I think they got brought in everyone in the middle of the pitch and, you know, he said something to Pagey again and Pagey was like, look, just effing leave it, blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, I don't even know what he said, Pagey has absolutely whacked him like spark out on the floor but then he's got up he's madly concussed he's got no teeth <laughs> like zero teeth in his mouth and so it's all going off it's kind of like calm down the, the actual fight isn't that um crazy it didn't like go punch 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 it was literally one punch mickey gone and five <laughs> minutes five minutes later this is the best bit five minutes later the youth team are on hands and knees doing forensics, picking up the teeth. And the manager, Mickey Adams, has told them to go out, like do the area, find every teeth or until and until they do, they're not coming in. Um, so you've got like a lineup of youth team players finding teeth on the floor. Doily's in the medical room, completely concussed, talking at bollocks to everybody. Can't understand what's happened. I think he was a bit tearful, but, you know, I've never been concussed myself really, but he was completely out of it. That was in one change room. And then Pagey was in the other change room having teeth and all sorts removed from his hand that he'd, he'd actually tore the whole of his hand. And like, it was all going off. And people obviously had took sides and it was all kind of happening. It was EastEnders kind of-esque. <laughs> and that was one of the ones where I have like, you know, everybody's kind of, you know, it was, it was really serious. It wasn't even that funny. I've seen lots of little punch-ups and things like that, especially back in the day. I don't suppose I have in the last sort of, five ten years it's probably calmed down a lot yeah it's probably calmed down a lot but I saw some good ones some really good ones at West Brom I've seen some at Barnsley but did that one particular because they were so 
such strong characters as well. Everyone says, oh, you do that again, I'll knock you out. But you never really see it. Paige no. knocked him the fuck out. <laughs> am, I allowed to swear? am I allowed to swear? I don't know if I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, it's one of those, is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was, you know, one that stuck out in my mind. And t- I think paigey has got the scar to, to prove it and Doyle's got the veneers to prove it. So... <laughs> <laughs> I think they shook hands. Hopefully, they shook hands at the end of it. But I, I, I know that the press didn't find out at the time, and you know there was rumours and things like that. But it wasn't nice. But it was mental, mental. I think the the youth team picking up the teeth was something that will never ever leave my mind. Yeah, that's quality. That's that's incredible, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Seven. But I'll tell you who used to fight. Like, like there were some good ones between Van Nistelrooy and Ronaldo. They like I've heard rumours that the press knew that they didn't always get on, but it's dead true. They never, they never really did. And I remember them always having them, that kind of ego rush for each other. Sorry to name drop again, but like, hey, Was it handbags or was it, was, was it proper at each other or? No, it was handbags. I think it was handbags. It was one time it caught physical and stuff like that, but it was never like too drastic. You know, they're both big lads as well. Both six foot two, you know, both, you know, be a good fight to be honest. It would actually be a good fight, but, Again, it never went that far, but you know, it's nice to see that the even the top players are losing the rag a bit. So I quite enjoyed that. Definitely. Brilliant. Question seven. What's the best Christmas do you've ever been on? Best Christmas do. Um the best one, right? Uh 2013, we're bottom of the league. I've been given the captain's armband in November. We're at Barnsley. Lowest points ever. At, the, at Christmas, by the way. Um, and obviously, I'm organising the Christmas do on a shoestring. I'm single at the time, living in Leeds City Centre. I had this um, I had this mate, Ed, who used to run living room. And he knew a lot of girls, I knew a lot of girls, and I literally organised it on a bit of a shoestring, um, organised this room, invited everybody I knew, like women, the wives and girlfriends. I don't know if, if they know, I don't really care, but... Um, that was me at the time I was single so I was just going with it and we had an unbelievable time cheapest chips Christmas do it wasn't one where we flew to Prague or Dublin or private planes I know Ben mentioned that last year which I have done but this one was run um, on a low budget but it was absolutely brilliant I remember that's it I had a place I've still got the place in Leeds City Centre I cleared all my furniture out and had an after party back at mine Um, I got a disco ball disco uh, light ball on the on my ceiling, really invested in my own place. <laughs> yeah, and we ended up going on a mad run just after Christmas um, and stayed up on the last day of the season. It's called The Great Escape, so I have to say that one. So it just goes to show you don't have to spend all the money. No. You don't have to um, fly here, there and everywhere. You just need good people, good organisation, time and beat speed, as they say. And yeah, that was the uh, that was the dream Christmas do. And since then, I've had some good ones and you know, been here, there and everywhere, but you've got to make the right, the right concoction. You have to add a certain amount of women because there are single players there. Yeah. They can't deny it. Okay. And you have to realise that not everybody's going to be happy. Not everybody's going to be totally happy. But yeah, that, that was brilliant. Mar- Marlon Harewood and Jason Scotland, people like that, Jim O'Brien, fantastic Christmas too. Yeah, that's the best one. Do you take some of the credit for the run after Christmas from your organisational skills of the Christmas party? Yeah, definitely. I just think that 
uh, Christmas dues are so important, especially if you're in a bit of a rut. I think we lost that night to Sheffield Wednesday on Sky, and I actually messed up because I think I was half thinking about the Christmas due, but and all the pressure that came with it. But <laughs> after that, we went on this great. I think that was the year we lost on Sky, but then we went on a great run. Um, but team morale, you end up talking to people that you don't usually talk to. Every again, if anybody's listening who works at BP or a shop or anything, any works do with different ages, you go out, have a drink, you start having conversations that you never normally would at work, and it can make the whole experience so much better. And you go through things, you know, and that's that's the thing. That's why Chris Dews were invented, and modern football is kind of, you know. Uh, bypassing the Christmas do they certainly didn't do it at Panathinaikos which was a shame I tried to get it going there but they (laughs) they missed out they missed out and I I recommend that to anybody as well get a good Christmas do going different sort of culture at Panathinaikos I'm guessing to the the yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, I'll never forget the the night that we did actually have at um, Panathinaikos and I the first time I walked over with a tray of shots and the and the players were just traumatized. They couldn't believe what I was doing. I was like, there were like fifteen shots on the tray, and I was like, looked at as if I was a complete alien. And yeah, it, it, from that moment, I realised that it was going to be a complete different three years to what I was used to. But you know, I learned a lot over there, and they did the shots, and they <laughs> they didn't go with it. Some some tried to. The Germans and the Scandinavians loved it, but not the not the um, Italians and the Spanish. No, they're not. They're not. Was it tough? Was it tough going over to Panathinaikos? So, you know, obviously being an Englishman and I'm guessing not that many of them spoke English and that was it. Was it tough at the time? Yeah, it was it was tough. Um, it was tough for me because, you know, I'd literally gone um, on a bit of a gamble. I just fancied an experience. It was time and again that worked for me and half the team were Greek, half the team were foreign. So the team talk was done in Greek and then, or in English and then Greek. But um, yeah, I loved it. It wasn't difficult uh, to settle in, but I did have my, um, you know, my challenges, but it was just a wonderful experience. I was in the deep end. When you've been somewhere for six, seven years, you get so comfortable, a bit like Ben Osborne was saying at um, Nottingham Forest, you know, you get comfortable, you know everyone and, you're never the new lad, but then a new challenge sometimes brings the best out of you. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was difficult, but every day was a challenge, even paying my bills and finding a house and, and all the rest of it. But it, I absolutely loved it. Decent. All right. Um, n- number eight, best non-playing member of staff you've ever worked with. So Ben went down the route, like um, sports scientists and that sort of stuff, but it could be anyone to coaches, managers, Physio, anyone, anyone you like? Um, that's a good question. I'll probably go to Barnsley straight away. Um, I'm going to give you two, I think. I think Elaine was the kit lady. Elaine um, was the kit lady. She still is the kit lady. Miserable bastard, really. But she, uh, <laughs> I absolutely, again, I just love that. I don't, I'm not the sort, I'll be honest, I'm not the sort that can talk football day in, day out. I know it might sound it tonight. This is my first podcast I've ever done because I usually turn them down for that reason that I don't want to talk about football. But it, Elaine was somebody who, who couldn't give a shit about football. She used to, she was there for years. And as soon as the game kicked off, she'd go inside, have a cup of tea or, you know, have a smoke, read the paper. 
you know, she'd chill her head at half time or she and then at the end of the game she washed the kit, but she was just somebody in the football stadium, which I think they're getting more of now, but you can just go talk to. And it, it was the same for a, you know, a famous kit man, Norman Norman Rimmington, who actually died a few years ago. He was there as, as well alongside her. So they've been in the kit room for years and it's just people who you've had those bad days, like I said, against Ipswich or you've let five in somewhere. They don't care. They like the person. They like the person who they meet or they don't like the person who they meet. And that's that's real people. So they weren't trying to impress anybody. They trying, weren't trying to do anything to, you know, whoever the best player is. Sometimes the best players get good attention or top attention. And I never liked that. And I can always, you can always tell physios do it. Sometimes they don't even realise they're doing it. Managers, coaches definitely do it. And but but a lot of the time the kit people um, aren't as interested in, in football. They're on very poor wages can, compared to the players. So you know they're humble and they want to get home at the end of the day. But they work bloody hard. And Elaine and Rimo were just first class people, and that's why he did everything at the club. He's a legend in Barnsley, but um, he made my time very enjoyable. He'd he'd walk in and you know. He'd look at me and just go, Cor, you were shit today. And I'll be like, do you know what? That's the first honest thing anyone said to me all day because everyone's like, oh, unlucky. Well, I might have moved or a bit of a deflection or he'd just say how it is. And then he'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's done. And Elaine was, you know, like I said, Elaine never watched the game. Even when we were beating Chelsea and being carried off the pitch, you get in the tunnel and she'd shout, she'd shout, turn those bloody socks the right way. Do you know what I mean? Straight after the game rather than, <laughs> you know, we're in the semi-final of the cup. It would just be work for her. And yeah, non-football people, they're absolutely brilliant. Oh, they'd put a dartboard in there. So you'd go in there before training. We'd have a game of darts and, you know, whatever. They're just first-class people. And that's what I think, you know, football clubs are, are about, having those foundations of people and making sure that they stay through thick and thin. So I'm going to have to go with them too. On a on a similar note of, of characters in and around football clubs, who's the the funniest player you've ever played with? Funniest, uh, Jimmy Bullard. Really? Yeah. Cracker. Jimmy Bullard. Like, uh, yeah, I've not obviously done Soccer AM recently, and I see him a lot on TV, but it's nothing on on what he is as a person. You know what it's like. Obviously, TV gets melted down and yes. censored, and all the rest of it. I actually saw him. I did some filming for what's the thing where you you try and score the goals you know with soccer am coming and he came in and he was himself again and he was really himself the camera weren't rolling he was he was jimmy who knew me as steely um but he was nuts like i remember him i don't know if he's been diagnosed with bipolar ocd or what but he'd be in the change rooms and you remember as a young lad i was training with the first team at posh from like 15 16 he'd be like this character this cartoon character he'd put the towel around his neck as a cape and he'd be start bollock naked and he'd be running jumping off the walls bouncing off the walls teabagging people and he'd be like he'd turn on an accent where he'd be thinking i can't remember if he was a superhero and then he'd get in the bin and he'd get somebody to wheel him through through the change rooms into like the wall and he'd just be like hyper like all the time and he was just he was even on the football pitch he'd say stuff and you see it on youtube now and all his interviews and he's just somebody that i could be around for ages and you know probably now i've grown up and and that it's probably different, but he's just he's just one of a kind. And I, I think that people like that deserve the the gigs that they get, you know, on Soccer AM and all the rest of it, because he's a funny guy, very witty, good player, very good player as well. But um, Jimmy Bullard, my uh, uh, 
during that Barnsley run, Rob Kosluck. I don't know if you know Rob Kosluck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolute hero, legend. They, when we got to the semi-final, they were making a big thing of it on BBC, I think it was, and they brought the, F, the real FA Cup to the training ground. And uh, they obviously had security and all these real serious guys. And we were supposed to like have this picture, but nobody was allowed to touch it. Well, Cosy. As soon as they opened the box, he grabbed it and ran around the pitch. <laughs> he was shouting, I've got it, I've got it, I've got the cup. And these two security guys didn't know what to do. Well, I was only like 22, 23. I thought it was the best thing ever. He had it under his arm. He was like running, like these two guys in suits running after him. He's just, you know, thinking on the spot, things like that. And Cosy was just, you know, he'd wear his heart on his sleeve. When he was nervous, he said it, which players don't do. Players never tell each other they're nervous. But Cosy was a semi-final. We was just like, on the bus, he's like, lads, I'm so fucking nervous. <laughs> just like, and he was 30, I think he was 30, early 30s, and he played in the semi final before for Chef U, and he was just saying how he was. He says, I'm so nervous, and you know, he'd kind of break the ice in any situation. So, Co- Rob, Rob Cos, look, even now, he's when he phones me up, I, I, I think back to the things he's done, and you know, another funny, funny guy. Quality, all right, mate. Um, number 10. Dinner party with three other people from the football industry. Who and why? From the football industry. Um, can you have dead or dead players? Or is that dead, yeah. a bit sensitive? Is that a bit... No, dead or alive. There might not be much fun, but uh, yeah, you can have whoever you want. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love Georgie Best. Yeah. I've got to have Georgie Best. I've never met Georgie Best and... I'm devastated because, you know, he actually died when I was there and, and I always kept thinking, oh, I've got to meet George Best. He's going to be at one of the games and things like that. And he died in the second year, I think I was there. I think it was the first time I cried um, as a football player when George Best died. I never met him, but heard lots of stories, heard good things. So it'll be me, George Best and what, two others? Yeah. So I know Barry Fry played with George Best as a youth team player. And Barry is at Barry's class anyway. Obviously, he's somebody who's been constant throughout my football career. So I'm going to put Barry in there as well. Would you not worry that um, Ben had the problem? He was going to put um, Gary and Be- David Beckham in the same one, but he worried about them talking to each other too much and not not getting you involved. You not worried that, about- that was such a boring choice. Gary Neville, who you hear every week, twice a week on telly. <laughs> no disrespect to Bex, the legend. God bless him. <laughs> he, he isn't going to light up the party. He might. I don't even think he'd tell you secrets. So why why I chose Gary Neville and Beckham, I do not know. But no, I'm not worried about that sort of stuff. I'm not, <laughs> not worried. It's, I his feel like, it's his dinner party, Dodgy. Leave yeah. alone. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Go on. Yeah, I'm more worried about what to cook him to, to, for dinner. But <laughs> so Baz would be class. I'll give him a cigar, make him wear a top, though, because I'm uncomfortable with him topless. Um <laughs> Even as a 17, 18 year old. But like, so I've got Bestie. I'm going to call him Bestie. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah. Let you get away with it. Let Bestie, Bestie, whatever. Uh, Yeah. 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 Georgie. Georgie. Yeah. Georgie (laughs) and Barry. Me. um, Baz. Baz. Yeah. Yeah. Baz, Georgie. Um, I'm excited. Uh, come on, come on, come on. In the footballing world. Okay. I'll have Maradona and his translator. That's four. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, it's classic. Well, actually, quickly on Maradona, um, we were talking to Ben about this podcast and he's behind it. And we've actually used that. If you do the, the, the clip of him where he's doing his kick ups, like the knee ups, right, right, yeah. yeah, that's our theme tune. And we know, I know. that tune, aren't you? I love that tune. I gave that to Ben. Yeah. <laughs> he mentioned it earlier. Yeah, if this goes huge, this podcast, which I probably much, I doubt it will because it's not the best. But the, uh, <laughs> but the, um, no, but when it is when it is huge, and you can put me on the credits or something. No, come on, let's think of one more Maradona because Maradona. I mean, I've seen this program recently on him managing the Mexican side. I don't know if you've seen it, but he's an absolute character. He's uh, he's a one in a million, and. I'm here at Lazio with the mafia getting involved in things like that I heard that he went out Sundays and came back Wednesdays and these aren't things that I don't put myself I'm not like a big drinker I'm not a big party animal never have been but I love hearing the stories and when there's a world-class player who does it I'd like to hear that um and I'd probably have to put Paul Gascoigne as the fourth but yeah I think he's um I think he's a hero of mine I think you just and Maradona will be eating too much with you. I feel I feel like all four of those have got something similar, um, got a lot in common. But yeah, I'm going to go with Paul Gascoigne. I've not heard enough from him yet. I think there's more in his in the in the story tank than he's letting on. I think I'd like to hear the uncut versions of all that. Yeah, I think I think it'd just be me. Well, I think Gazza would be crying straight away because you know what he's like. Yeah. Bestie would be, um, well, he'd probably bring a date, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he'd probably bring a date. Baz would be topless with a cigar, burn himself straight away. Uh, be, in fact, Baz would probably be trying to sell one of the players. <laughs> he'd, probably, he'd probably be the only man alive to some barrier who could probably sell Gaza now. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's so that, in fact, that's that's you know, that's what you should use to describe Barry Fry. He's the only guy who could sell Gaza now. That's yeah. that. That's to sum Barry up in a in a, a sentence. There's that, there's that famous clip on YouTube, which is one of my favourite videos to watch when I need to up with when he's negotiating with the agent and there. Is it D'Souza from Wickham? Yeah. And he's like, sold, sold to the fat bastard in the blue blazer. <laughs> that's just that's my image of Barry Fry all the time. <laughs> I know. Barry, Barry's one in a million. He's He can do a deal anywhere. He, he, there's not many people like that in football now because of, for obvious reasons they're dying out but you know he'd sell the table if the guy wanted an extra 200 quid he'd sell the table he was doing the deal on to, to, get, to get the deal done do you know what I mean or he'd, he'd sell the blazer or his chain or his watch to get the deal done and that's no exaggeration the table obviously is a bit far-fetched but honestly there's stuff that Barry's uh, known for and you know players speak, speak about it years later usually about their own deal you know just to get the deal done but that's that's the way the lower leagues actually do work yeah. so yeah that's a hell of a dinner party <laughs> it's incredible so the last one then is just who who've you who've you played with who you'd like to answer these questions so to get on get on to uh, onto the pod next do you reckon or who, who's likely to come on that you know? Who's likely to come on? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I could get I could get you playing. Like a good one. <laughs> Who? Rob Coslock. He sounds like a character. <laughs> yeah, Rob Coslock, yeah. He wouldn't hold back. He'd just give you everything. 
he'd give you everything. That's what you want. You want somebody who's not going to hold back and not name names and things like that. Usually retired players are better for that, for obvious reasons. But Rob Cos looks brilliant. I can do that. Um, Chris Samba, I'd like to hear. Do you know, remember Chris Samba? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he came to Panathinaikos. I only knew him for about six months, but you could get someone like him on. Um, you know, I'd love to hear from players like Mads Tim, who I mentioned earlier. Obviously, it probably wouldn't be an interest to you two as much, but when I say that he was, you know, as good as Ronaldo in 18-19, I really mean that. And um, there's there's video footage, not much of it, of, of to prove it. But, um, you know, there's loads of good players. Gary McSheffrey would be a good one, who we used to play with. He's retired now, I think. Yeah, he's definitely retired now. He played in the Premier League quite a few games. Um, yeah, I think there's quite a lot. Chris Eagles, who was at Man U, who's the, who was the, you know, he was going to be the next Beckham. When I got there, I, I arrived late, so I arrived at 17. He was very much the next Beckham and, you know, he was touted to be the, the next big thing at Man U and he can tell you why it didn't work out or, you know, I'm sure he could tell you some good stories from his days at Burnley and, and Sheffield Wednesday. It's just so many fascinating stories that, like I said, when you when you get the interviews at the end of the game, I know you touched on this with Ben, but you do really get two percent of what the players thinking and feeling because you know I remember media training, for instance, in the academy. You know, at the age of 18, 17, 18. So I know that, that all the academy players have that. You know, and they're very much taught not to give give the the true answer to the question. And it's difficult. That's why I find it hard to watch Sky Sports and to watch like the interviews after. I don't think I ever carry on watching one unless it's somebody who I know, um, because I just you, you get the same answers, and you know, rightly or wrongly, um, they give the same boring answers to give to, to to keep the club that they're at happy. And sometimes in the changing managers will say, "Look, whoever does the press today, you don't mention this, you don't mention that. You make sure you're positive. You do that." And it's 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 for me, it takes a lot of the fun out of it. So um, for the listeners, I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm obviously like football's made up of, of the fans and that, and the fans would want to hear the true and honest reflection of what players are actually thinking. It. I don't think clubs understand that. I know, I know, and I wish that they would be more open. In America, there are. You know, American football players answer a lot more honestly than than we do, and they even use, um, you know, poor language. But to, that's the way they express themselves, especially the ones who are not educated and aren't quite as articulate as others. But they express themselves freely in a way that they speak. But here in England, we are very much, you know, politically correct, and we try and like answer everything. Um, in, in a nice way and you know the very as they say Gary Lineker Alan Shearer in, in the view which is you know sit on the fence but I'd like to see it opened up a lot more to be honest yeah same especially especially because the pundits do they don't hold back and you know they're all saying what they really think it'd be nice to hear it from the actual players or have the players respond to the pundits um, I don't know if that's been done very much but it'd certainly make me sound like tuned in for a lot longer than I am <laughs> yeah same Brilliant. All right, mate, fucking quality. Appreciate that. No worries. Very, very have, you, have you enjoyed your, your spell on getting messy? <laughs> I have very much so. I'm going to I'm gonna work as hard as I can to try and get um, Messi and you guys on the same podcast. That's the dream. I might, I might make that my next target while I'm still unemployed. Um, 
big shout out if this is still rolling to Jubilee, my new Sunday league side, top of the league and goal difference. Um, you know, hopefully we, we can come out of this lockdown and I can continue to score goals, you know, and I might get a move out of it. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us and keep banging in them goals, mate. Cheers, that's been brilliant. Nice one, appreciate that, mate. Thank you very much.